The following message is a part of the teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church of Fairburn, Georgia, also on the web at gracebible.faith. That's gracebible.faith. Good evening, Grace Bible Church and friends of grace. Uh, this last Sunday, we were back in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. This was the second of two parts in 3, 14 through 18, which brought us to the end of the section, the end of the chapter, and the end of 2 Peter, which will conclude now our a long-time engagement with Peter's two letters. So it was a, a bittersweet experience in terms of our, our long-time walking through first and now second Peter, but it was a, a joyful work and hopefully a profitable one as well. Now, as we began our work this last Sunday, one of the things I did choose to do was to look back a little bit at uh, the prior week's uh, passage in terms of uh, the earlier part of 3.14 through 18, so we focused this week on 17-18, but I looked at a little bit further back and again highlighted something that we've covered with a, a high degree of um, attention in terms of proportionate attention to maybe how it uh, is uh, viewed in other contexts, but namely that of beloved. And we've talked about how um, that's a, a valuable term, an important term. It's not just a filler. It's not just that Peter is looking for another way to engage his readers, or maybe they've um, developed a measure of fatigue from the weightiness of the subject matter, and so he's, he's uh, engaging them with a more affectionate term. Now, I think there's a, a lot of intentionality to that, and it communicates a lot. And so we work through that in terms of even the fact that he hadn't used it in terms of his uh, readers or even his peers, um, all the way until chapter 3 in this second letter. And then he has a bit of an intensive treatment of it. And so we we regarded the fact that we're beloved in Christ, and therefore beloved to one another. And again, just how precious that is. But then with that, we specifically noted that he also regarded Paul as our beloved brother. And now, again, that seems very, very straightforward, and that's because it is. Um, Paul would have been a beloved brother. He's in Christ. He's part of the church. He's a fellow apostle. But from a pastoral perspective, I just wanted to to spend some a special measure of attention on the fact that there was a, a history and a context between Peter and Paul, and how, you know, Peter was, uh, as we've seen, as we've worked through the books, and as we've just highlighted different elements of his life, he's a, a very passionate um very um, zealous man for his Lord and, and deeply loved the Lord. And, and yes, he got a reputation at times for being um, a bit of ahead of himself, almost tripping over his own feet. But it wasn't out of ignorance. It wasn't out of um, uh, some kind of moral deficiency. He, he loved his Lord. He, he loved in a way that, again, he was um, outpacing himself and had struggles accordingly. And, and, uh, but he was magnificently used for some of those character qualities. And so here you have Peter who has a, a life and reputation of faithfulness uniquely used. He's, he's the one that is declaring, you're the Christ. He's the one that is personally restored and charged with the care and the shepherding of Christ's church. The one that preaches at Pentecost um, has a unique role in the early church in terms of the bold engagement against the religious leaders being imprisoned and persecuted and freed. Um, advancing the gospel even to the Gentiles with his engagement with Cornelius and later um, having a consequential role in the Jerusalem Council. All these really impressive, incredible things. And then, speaking of the Jerusalem Council, we have something that happens that Paul records in Galatians chapter 2, where Peter, in weakness, um, 
made a, a grave error, um, one that led Barnabas astray, um, using similar language, same language as he does here for what happens, the potential danger that we face of leading, being led astray. Um, and so Paul has to rebuke him, and it's a public rebuke, and it's a rebuke that's recorded in the scriptures. And again, we can just imagine the weight of that and how that would have impacted a relationship. Um, and here you have, again, this longtime zealous, faithful leader in Christ's church. Then you have this guy that um, he was almost public enemy number one in some ways for the church in terms of his zeal to persecute Christ's church. He's radically converted. He's away for an extended period of time where he's being privately, supernaturally discipled by the Lord. He returns. He's elevated very quickly to a place of leadership. And that's who the Lord used to rebuke Peter um, in a way that, again, was very public, very obvious, and very painful. But I think that's important to remember because we're going to hurt one another. Um, now, there's a variety of reasons why, because of our sin, other people's sin, incidental things that we don't mean to do, but also, as was in this case, um, in restoring one another. Restoring one another often includes rebuke and correction, and that is a painful process. Um, and it's taken uh, for what it is, a wounding process, a wounding so as to restore. And sometimes that shapes and changes relationships um, because, again, we still are in progress. Um, sometimes our efforts to restore are not as skillful or as well executed as they should be. Sometimes they are done exactly right and people are restored, but the relationships just changed. And so I just thought it was helpful as us as a, a body of believers who, if we walk together long enough, we will experience these things, restoring and uh, correcting and rebuking one another. And just remember the preciousness of beloved carries over to this as well when he recites or he recalls uh, Paul, not just as a faithful laborer, not just as a fellow apostle, not just as a contributor to the scriptures, but our beloved brother Paul. So again, maybe that's... Um, um, I think that's pastorally valuable, and uh, again, just from what I've seen, experienced, and what I anticipate, is just the nature of walking together. As much as we want to value beloved, we also need to value it in that regard as well. So a little bit of a different uh, way to, to begin our time, but then we also addressed um, the nature of Paul writing some challenging things. Now, we um, unpacked that, I think, sufficiently the week before. But I did want to make one last little tie-in. Now, the week before, part of the emphasis was that the scriptures are clear and understandable and that we work hard to understand them. We don't just take hard things and say, well, I'm going to abandon the effort that is associated with that because what's well, hard and I'll leave that to someone else or I just I won't give attention or really value it. I'm just going to um, set that aside. I have other things I can see and understand and, and labor in. No, we apply ourselves, and we diligently apply ourselves to, to understand these challenging things. And we also recognize that those are the more vulnerable points as well. Um, those who distort the scriptures, it's going to be uh, a valuable target to aim at that which is hard to understand, because that's going to be the place where you can most naturally distort and manipulate things, because, well, people may don't labor as hard at it, or in laboring at it, it may not yield its clarity as quickly as we'd like. So that's a point of vulnerability. But beyond that, one of the things I wanted to tie in, um, again, we're getting to 17 to 18, but 
one of the things I wanted to tie in is that we've also been walking simultaneously through Psalm 119. So uh, this year we uh, de- decided to, to really want to cultivate um, a, an emphasis as we were, um, as it were. And so we, we started off with a special, special message from Psalm 1 early in the year. And then on our Wednesday evenings, we always go through um, psalms, or we have, we've made it a pattern of going through psalms in preparation for our psalms reading on Sunday morning. So that being the case, we decided let's walk through Psalm 119 section by section by section each week and just unpacking the glories of God's Word. So emphasis on the foundation with Psalm 1 with uh, the distinction between the, the righteous man and the blessed man um, with the wicked man and the one who's under God's judgment. And the distinction was the relationship to the Word of God that he esteems and values. Then we've been walking through, and are, again, only a few about four or five sections in, maybe six sections in, um, into Psalm 119, and we come across some things. And we, two weeks ago, came across, opened my eyes, and I may behold wonderful things from your law. We talked about how oh, that's a precious, precious prayer, and a good student of the Scripture wants to pray that way, wants to ask, Lord, would you open my eyes? We know our dependence upon God to see and hear and understand His Word. And then this last week, um, we also read and we worked through, make me understand the way of your precepts. I will muse on your wondrous deeds. So again, those were small um, prayer elements of the larger sections that we covered, but details that are, again, are precious to students of the scriptures. And you see here, I have a tie-in to um, 2 Peter 3.16 there. So Psalm 119, 18, 119, 27. So what would be the connection to 2 Peter 3.16? Well, again, there are some things that are hard to understand. And when I was working through our work in Psalm 119, something that became clear was that whereas the word wondrous means what we expect it to, wonderful, incredible, excellent, all these uh, like terms, it can also, um, and in proper context, be uh, translated as difficult or hard. And so I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? And I think there's maybe a degree of... um, uh, uh, acceptable allowance to consider this could be a context in which that could be translated that way. And so open my eyes that I may behold difficult or hard things from your law. Difficult and hard things. Lord, would you teach me? Would you help me see that and understand that? And then we make that connection that, you know, difficult and hard things also quite often are wonderful things, magnificent things, grand things that we had to work hard to dig at. And I want us to think about uh, Paul's difficult writings, and for that matter, Peter's difficult writings, and Jude's difficult writings, and John's difficult writings, and James's. There's a lot of difficult things in the scriptures. Peter just happened to highlight Paul's. Um, but we want to work hard at it so that we would see and understand wondrous things from God's word. And we're reminded that the means by which that will be accomplished, it's not just, well, let's roll up our sleeves, do hard work, do the study, which is all part of what we do, but it's always with this absolute and even, I would argue, more obvious dependence upon the Spirit of God to teach us. And then we worked and we advanced into our passage proper. So we came to verses 17 to 18 where we read, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest you, having been carried away by the error of unprincipled men, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So the first thing we mentioned was we looked back at the beginning of this section of 314 to 18, and we saw therefore, therefore, 
directing our attention back to uh, the day of the Lord, the great day of God, the eternal state. All those things need to factor in into how you think about the commands that were provided to be diligent, to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and to consider the patience of our Lord of salvation. So in view of the Lord's glorious and sure and promised return, be diligent, be diligent to be found ready, to be found holy, to be found blameless, things that the Lord will accomplish in his people, but it's an accomplishment that is in tandem with our own vigorous effort and exercise um, and, and walking well and seeking to be found faithful. And then considering the patience of our Lord as salvation, the fact that the timing of Christ's return is is of such a nature that it is an expression of patience, a patience that was applied toward us who are in the beloved, because while we were dead in our sins and outside of Christ and no interest in the things of the Lord, he was demonstrating patience and he was opening our eyes and drawing us to himself and, and working his work of salvation, causing us to be born again. And that was patience, a patience that continues to be exercised all the way until our Lord's return. So we saw, therefore, ties those things back in there. And once again, you have an expression of therefore now with this section. So therefore, um, we, we look back once more. What's the immediate context? Now, I would argue in one way, this therefore is especially the last one, but especially this one is leaning even further back to say, Look at the sweep and the scope of the letter. But first, first we need to look back in the immediate uh, preceding context. And so we have um, uh, the, the, the commands to be spotless and blameless, to consider the patience of our Lord of salvation. We have that very clear. But also, and more directly, the fact that there are some things that are hard to understand and that there are those who distort. Remember the term distort also is the equivalent to the word of torture, um, they would torture, they would distort, they would manipulate, they would abuse God's word to their own destruction and the potential harm of others. Therefore, so keep that in mind, that there are people who distort, manipulate, challenge, and destroy others through their abuse of God's word. In view of that, and we've seen that a lot, we've seen that with the false teachers, we've seen that with the mockers. In view of that, we have two commands once more. The first one is be on your guard. Be on your guard. This is a, a disposition of, of vigilance, of thinking and conduct that we're not just casually strolling through things. This is um, God's word that's being assaulted, God's precious word, and therefore we need to have a, an alertness, an awareness to it, a, a disposition that reflects our appreciation and understanding of these things. And as we'll see in a moment, this is something he's been cultivating throughout the book. And now explicitly commanding. And then the second command, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So grow in grace and knowledge. Um, How do we respond to threats? We're on guard and we grow. So again, there are those who would manipulate, distort, torture God's word. What do we do in response to, because God's word is precious, it is life, it is hope. So what do we do? We're on guard and we grow. These are the final two commands that Peter's going to provide for us. Now, in view of the being on guard, uh, we talked about, we gave these four examples here. We walked through them just a little bit. The fact that um, he's already been laying a foundation for that on guard disposition. And the illustration I gave would be if you're here in Georgia, um, probably many other places, we have 
the signs almost on every public highway where there's a bridge, um, bridge may ice in winter or bridge may ice in, in cold, some variation of that. And it's this, this uh, just general warning that you need to understand these things. And we saw that over and over again. We saw there's false teachers. You need to be aware of that. This is their modus operandi. You need to be aware of that. This is how they hurt people. You need to be aware of that. There are mockers. You need to be aware of that. This is what they say. You need to be aware of that. Those are those consistent signs and uh, articulations of warning that we've seen throughout the book. And so it's always saying, be on guard. Let it change how you conduct yourself. Let it let it uh, inform your disposition. Let it inform your engagement. Let it inform how you prepare yourself, how you uh, speak to and, and live with others and, and respond to God's word and respond to repentance and respond to all these things. Be on guard. It's this consistent development of that uh, disposition and mentality and engagement. And now as we come to this section where it's explicitly commanded, be on guard. You can think of it as there's an ice storm. An officer is now blocking the bridge with his car, and he's he's commanding you, turn around. And that's where Peter's at now. He's, I've given you warnings. I've given you warnings. I've cultivated this. Now I'm commanding you, turn around. Because if you fail to, there's a genuine danger. There's a grave danger there. And how does he articulate that? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. Here we have, again, the commands, be on your guard and grow. But how does he command, uh, uh, how does he frame the warning associated with that can, lest you be a command, lest you having been carried away by the air of unprincipled men, fall from your own steadfastness. There's danger. What happens to the bridge? What's the danger there? Well, if it does ice in winter, the vehicle's going to slip, lose control. What's it going to do? It potentially falls off the bridge, potentially is destroyed. Ice storm happens. Now you're commanded, don't go. You go anyway. What's a very high likelihood? You're going to lose control. You're going to go off the bridge and suffer destruction. Well, Peter's expressing a like thing here. Lest you be carried away. By the air of unprincipled men. Who are unprincipled men? Well, we really only have one other term or other use of that term in the New Testament. That's in 2 Peter chapter 2, where he talks about the men of Sodom were unprincipled men, effectively seeking Lot's destruction. And so there's a danger from falling from your own steadfastness. Now we clearly teach here the um, nature of salvation in Christ is a, a once and final secure in Christ. It's obviously we're not going to lose our salvation. It's, um, but there is warnings in the scriptures. Um, how do we merge those two realities? We have the, 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 the forever security in Christ and that we're not going to lose our salvation, but yet we do have warnings. Well, this is one about finishing and finishing well. It's also about uh, the Lord alone knows the hearts. We only know ourselves as well as we do, and then others really know us even less, obviously. But finishing well is not inevitable. It's being kept by the Lord, and it's being kept by our own steadfastness. And it might sound self-contradictory there, but then we also have the same thing with our sanctification to the, to work out your sanctification, fear and trembling, because it's a, because it's God who's at work with you, both to work and to will for His good pleasure, and so we have that tension that the Lord will keep His own, and we are also to participate in that keeping. And Peter says, your participation in that keeping is to be on guard, to be aware that there are dangers that will do you harm, that will do either your testimony harm or it may. It may peel back that maybe there was a lack of testimony and your lack of steadfastness. But even if you are in Christ, it can do a lot of harm. It can do a lot of harm to your personal reputation, to the reputation of Christ's church. Be on guard. 
lest you be led astray. And you think, well, that's not going to happen. What happened to Barnabas? And you know how it happened to Barnabas? Because Peter led him astray inadvertently in a moment of weakness and sin. And that's why Paul corrects and rebukes him in Galatians chapter 2. It is a real danger. And so we need to be on guard. And the second command he provides for us is grow in grace, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so again, a, a precious final command that it's not just being on guard, it's also growing. It's actively maturing and progressing and, and advancing. Be on guard, but also grow. Um, so we have our two commands here. I've framed it with be on guard or securely keep a holy and faithful walk that is intimately transformed by the scriptures, lest you be carried away in error. And then grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ that you may be rooted in truth, unshakable, confident, and fruitful. So how do we do that? How do we grow? Well, there's no secret formula. It's not that I need to listen to the next uh, special teacher. I need to go to the next lecture or conference or read the next book or I'm just waiting on some mystical experience where the Lord just magically grows me. Well, it's a growth by effort and an effort that specifically is cultivated in and by the Word of God. We've seen that. We've seen that in Psalm 1. We see it through Psalm 119. We see that in our daily experience, but we also see it so clearly as Peter articulated with the role of the Word of God in our salvation and our progress. So as you remember 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through all the way through 2, 3, he writes, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a love of the brothers, without hypocrisy, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, that is through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was proclaimed to you as good news. Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So growth by means of the word of God and also a means that the Lord has provided for his people is the local church. And it's peculiar uh, that some would see the local church as an elective component of the Christian life and experience. Um, it's part of God's design. And it's part of God's design to grow and mature us. And we see that so preciously clear in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, where Paul writes, And he himself, Christ himself, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we grow. We, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so we see really plainly a lot of the elements that we've just talked about. There's a preservational element to, to being knit to Christ's body. There's a maturing element that is part of being knit to Christ's body, and he will bring us to completion individually, yes, but as a unit as well. And so we see it's the Word of God and it's the church, the Lord's uh, expressed means of uh, growing and maturing and strengthening his body. 
So that would be growing in those areas and growing in faithfulness. That's how we framed it on Sunday. It was growing in faithfulness by means of the Word of God, by means of uh, faithfulness in the context of the outworking of the local church. And also we have growing in faith, something that Peter gave very, very clear attention to and that we took a good bit of time to develop in our walk through Second Peter chapter 1. And so we saw in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 12, this growth that's expected, commanded, but the outcome of it, what is it? It's, it's the exact opposite of the concerns that are associated with uh, falling from your own steadfastness. Look as we read and pay attention as we read that there's a surety that accompanies this. It's so sure that you'll never stumble and that your entrance into the eternal kingdom is guaranteed. Those are magnificent assurances and they're secured Yes, by the Spirit of God. Yes, by Christ keeping us. And yes, by our fulfilling and faithfully obeying the commands we've been provided here. Peter writes, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly love, and in your brotherly love, agape love, for if these things are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For in whom these things are not present, that one is blind, being nearsighted, having forgotten the purification from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and choosing sure. For in doing these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been strengthened in the truth which is present with you. So again, if you want to heed the command to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, then exercise faithfulness to the scriptures and in the context of the local church and in applying all diligence and supplying your faith with these things. What do we have? Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly love, and agape love. Again, we walked through that much more comprehensively back in, I think, August. We gave it a little bit of a look this last Sunday, but these things are the means by which we will grow. And then finally, um, Peter brings us to the place of a Christocentric doxology. So doxology, praise to God. Um, a lot of times it's expressed in a triune, the, uh, expressing the, the Trinity and expressing glory to God in all three persons. Um, different doxologies have different points of emphasis. Here, there's a very clear Christocentric or Christ-centered doxology. He writes, To Christ be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so we can note a few things here. The fact that the Lord will share his glory with no one. Peter's making a very clear com uh, connection here that he's made throughout the book in various ways and, and very clear ways that Christ is God. Um, Jesus Christ is God, and to him belongs glory, both now and to the day of eternity, forever and ever. And we have, again, another day. And it's interesting, in chapter 3, we've seen a number of days, as it were. Days is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day to frame timing. We saw the day of the Lord, the, 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 um, the, um, the day of uh, judgment, um, the, all these expressions of day. And here we have one last day, and it's specifically the day of eternity. And this is the day that has no end because it's the day in which Christ will be exalted and forever glorified. Therefore, it is an eternal day which Christ will see, receive fitting and due glory forever and ever.
And with this, we kind of express some of the, the uh, Peter's arc, as it were. Um, we didn't give a full expression of that. We didn't go all the way back to his um, being called from a fisherman and whatnot. But we did kind of look back to how precious it was that in Matthew 16, we have the, the recording of the engagement with Jesus asking the apostles there, the, the disciples there, the, um, who do men say that I am? And you have the different responses, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, precious Peter, our dear friend, beloved Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Um, and so here he is declaring, you're the Christ. And now uh, he's declaring, and you are the eternal God who will receive glory forever and ever and ever. And then concluding that arc, as it were, we know that this was written not only with great urgency, but at the conclusion of Peter's uh, natural life. He, he knew his death was imminent. The Lord had made that plain to him. We have um, a reference back to that in John chapter 21. When Peter's restored, he also is... Um, it's made clear, clear to him that uh, there will be a day in which his natural race, this natural experience, will come to a conclusion um, in a way as prescribed by God. And he, he knows that time's coming very, very soon now. So he's spoken the imminent return of Christ, and I've argued I think maybe this is even more imminent. Uh, he knows that his life is uh, soon to conclude. And in view of that, as an apostle, as a, a pastoral figure to the larger church, he is urgently wanting to remind them of these things. He wants us to see and to hear and to remember. He says, I know you know these things, and I want you to remember. Beloved, remember. And we have these final, final charges again. Be on guard and grow. So final charges from one who wrote so as to persuade, encourage, and strengthen us because he wanted us to remember, because he wanted us to finish well. And with that, I remember, refreshed our cover slide. We've had this cover slide the entire time of our study, and I've kind of filled it out here for you now. And I want you to hear those terms as precious they are. Beloved, beloved, I'm writing to you so that you would know, you would know Christ, you would know him more fully, more intimately, more completely, as he's articulated throughout the book, laid that foundation in chapter one, drives it home in chapter three, so that you would grow as we've been commanded today. And we know that that's a means by which the Lord not only insulates us, but matures and progresses us and stay, remain steadfast, continue on, finish well. And then Peter's uh, signature blessing, as it were, grace and peace to you. And so how will we respond to um, Peter's closing charges? Well, he aimed to finish well and for Christ church to finish well. And so our best response would be to remember and to put these things to action, to be aware of the threats, but also to walk in a way that's uh, faithful and pleasing to the Lord and maintaining our own steadfastness. Again, a view to these final commands, the last four commands of the book, to being found holy and blameless and pure, spotless and beyond reproach as Christ desires for his bride, to have a right perspective of the nature and timing of Christ's return, it's, it's patience, and then also to, to be on guard, to be vigilant, to be mindful, to, to have a, an awareness of our world and our circumstances and, and ourselves as well, our weaknesses that accompany us in this natural life. And then finally to grow, to grow, to make clear and evident progress to the glory of God and to have a view to the glory of Christ now and forever and ever. Now, 
Um, let's consider some ways that we can respond in prayer. Again, there's so many ways. I've just uh, outlined for us about four or five of them here, but uh, here we have the first one that we um, pray that we would value the precious identity of being beloved, beloved to Christ and beloved to one another. Um, again, those are, uh, that's not trying to be like uh, gentle, soft, um, silly, um, you know, you're, aren't you precious to God? I know people have abused that, but boy, isn't it great that it's still true that we are precious, that we are beloved, um, and that the Lord has such an affection for his people that he's not just, uh, um, demanding obedience, demanding worship, but there is a, there's an affection for his people, a, a genuine and great love. And I think it comes through so preciously and clearly through the apostles and others, even in the term beloved. Um, we, we walk through that, but again, I want to, to remind you, I, I do pray that we would uh, appreciate that and value it. And again, it's beloved to Christ and beloved to one another. Um, this, is, this is Christ's family, and we should not only be um, have a view to our being beloved to God, but beloved to one another. Uh, we're to earnestly love one another. Um, and so I, 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 I do hope that we'll pray, with, that we'll maintain and, and foster a, a right perspective in those regards. Pray that we would have a proper understanding of our world and ourselves, so that we might be vigilantly on our guard, prepared to repent, flee from, flee from and fight sin, and walk in joyful obedience. Um, so again, Having a, a right disposition includes a lot of things. We need to be quick to repent. Um, we need to, to be ready not only to flee from sin, but sometimes oppose it and fight with sin, uh, to, to regard it as what it does. It's warring with our soul. Um, and to walk in joyful obedience, that's, that's all maintaining a proper disposition. We need to recognize the vulnerabilities and assaults from this world, the weaknesses of our own uh, self and our own progress, uh, the, the temptations, um, both towards sin and to, to be impacted by sin and let it maintain its impact in relationships or otherwise. So we need to have a maintain a proper perspective and we need to pray to that end. Pray that we would maintain a proper view of God's patience, that it, that it has provided the context of our salvation, um, the context of our salvation and the salvation of all of his elect. Again, I want to remind and refresh that God has been patient toward us and what a magnificent, glorious thing that is. Um, we want to have a proper perspective. We've been commanded to, and that perspective should yield thanksgiving and worship, um, but also an eagerness to to see others come to, to repentance and faith, both for the benefit of their soul and for the exaltation of Christ. Pray that we'd be faithful in availing ourselves of God's means for growth, the scriptures, the local church, and the supplying of, faith, of our faith with these things. So again, we have... We've been commanded, and we've been commanded by, um, we've been commanded, but been also provided the, the necessary means. So it's not like, uh, do this and figure it out. Do this, and um, it's not going to be possible. It's do this, and you have the scriptures, and you have the local church, and you have clear direction with what do I do? Well, supply your faith with these things. And we rolled through that list a number of times, those seven things. And so pray that we'd be found faithful in availing ourselves of these means for growth. And then finally, um, 
pray that in and through our lives and the testimony of the church that even now Christ would be glorified just as he will be throughout eternity. Christ will be glorified. What a joy to participate in a demonstration of that now, um, to provide a preview of that to the world, even in their unbelief, and a preview to that to one another, to remind and affirm that Christ is glorified now and will forever be glorified even more perfectly. So, Again, just five ways that we can be praying in view of these things. There are so many other things. I would encourage you to um, reflect on that yourself and to continue to draw from the truths that are uh, richly supplied for us there. And again, for those of us at Grace Bible Church, we're praying for Christ Church in Belarus this week. Um, we, we rotate um, through alphabetical order. We skip about five or six each week so as to, to uh, cover as many uh, a breadth of um, nations, well, we cover them every week, but just to give us some diversity in our coverage. And it happened to fall this week on a nation that is very present in the news in terms of um, maybe not directly, but they're a neighboring nation to Ukraine. Uh, they are a deep friend of Russia. Um, they are potentially another staging ground if, if there is conflict there. And so we're mindful of that, but we're more mindful of the fact that uh, Christ has his church there. And uh, how does that impact the church? I don't know. I can, I, I can imagine um, it would be. It has its challenges, um, and I'd imagine that um, those who pray for peace and desire peace and desire for to, to submit to their government, it becomes a very complicated circumstance. Um, but we want to pray for, for the church that they would be found faithful. Come what may with the nation, the church would be found faithful and prove to be a light and a help and a, a means of, of Christ's glory, even in that place. We'll have prayer meeting tomorrow evening, usually, as is, again, our pattern right now. We're working through Psalm 119, but um, through some providential circumstances, um, we're going to give attention to Psalm 119, but our primary attention will be in Psalm 110. Um, Pastor Frank's going to walk through Psalm 110 with us um, in view especially of our work and the, the life of Christ. Um, we're working through Passion Week right now, and I think we're about to head into the Olivet Discourse soon, and we'll give a lot more attention to that, and Pastor Frank's going to help us frame our understanding, especially in view of Psalm 110 um, tomorrow evening. And then we'll obviously give our strength of our time to, to prayer, knowing how to pray for one another and praying for one another. So hopefully this has been helpful to you. Um, it's been a joy to walk through Second Peter. Next will be um, a brief uh, uh, engagement with Psalm 19, and preparation to our transition to Jude and then the book of James. So we have lots of work ahead of us, and uh, we'll pray to the end that the Lord would give us help to see and understand his word and to respond accordingly. Right, grace and peace to you all.